All right, good morning and welcome to round six of Don the Sash. Uh, as always, I've got Ian Hume joining me as co-host as we try and put the events of last week behind us and look forward to um, a big game on, on Monday. Hume, how are you, mate? Welcome again. Yeah, good, thanks. Good to good to get back into this. Um, we're doing it a bit later this week because of the, the later starts of the game. One day we'll have a, a show where we actually know the full team before we start talking about it and all our um all our ideas about selection are um all our ideas about selection are uh, accurate and not um proven wrong you know a couple of hours after we record it um and it's also good to so you know have a bit of time and space from from the Fremantle game to really sort of reflect on um what happened and, and where we can go from here yeah absolutely yeah so i mean i guess we, as as we we discussing just before coming on air, we don't want to spend a lot of time on the Fremantle game. I think there's been a lot of um, been a lot of really good and cathartic content out there from from other um, other podcasts and and um, um, tweeters and and things like that that have really sort of broken down um, you know people's frustrations. Um, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. We want to move on to the next the next game as much as possible, but also reflecting on where Essendon's at. But as always, we will go through. Um, what our thoughts were prior to the Fremantle game, the things that we needed to do, um, and and how that went. Um, and as people can probably imagine, um, you know, none of the four none of the four things that we talked about um, were achieved. So the first one was limiting Brayshaw's output. While he had thirty four disposals, five clearances, five fifties, four hundred sixty one meters gained. You know, um, most of those were um, either at or above his average. So um, we were unable to do that. Um, Hope that we could use Draper and Phillips to take advantage of the weaker second ruck, but obviously that was um, that was cost um, that that went away when Phillips was injured, um, and then Draper was well outpointed by Darcy, just continuing Draper's um, poor uh, run of form at the moment. Um, we wanted them to take educated risks exiting from defensive fifty. Um, I think uh, the Franger Hanger um, Charlie Dons on Twitter um, posted a really good um, really good compilation of our um, lack of dare from the defensive 50. So do, I'm sure everyone listening to this is following him on Twitter, but if you're not, do check that out. Um, he puts together some really good content, um, really highlights some of the things that are happening in the game um, and restrict the marking power of females defenders. Well, that wasn't achieved, um, particularly with um, Peter Wright being double teamed. Um, Cox, Ryan, Pierce all had um, over five marks. Um, and we just saw constantly that um, they were getting in, um, they were getting in the way of Wright and being able to take marks or, or, um, stopping the forward entries from Essendon. Do you have anything you want to add to that, or is, do we just want to move on? Honestly, no, I, think, I think um, I think move on. There weren't too many positives really. I thought um, BZT uh, Zerk Thatcher did a, a pretty good job down back under a lot of pressure. It's sort of good to see him getting some games under his belt. Uh, Nick Martin's continuing his progression and and showing that he's going to be a really good um, footballer for us for a long time. Um, but yeah, beyond that, um, and I, I think if, you know, if I was going to give a shout out, I'd give a bit of a shout out to to some of the Essendon people on Twitter who sort of, um, you know, it, it sort of brought the best and worst out of people that result. I think, and and look, footy's an emotional game. We all love our love Essendon and love the club, so we but we process it differently. But I thought, um, you know, in the post match, there was um, a lot of you know really good quality people who who kind of just tried to. Um, pick each other up and have a bit of a laugh about it and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a bit of a shout out to the, um, to the Essendon Twitter community for, for the way they conducted themselves post-match. So yeah. yeah. 
I think you, you just need that. Something. It was just such a frustrating game. It, it sort of we we was we were there um, sitting together, and um, obviously it was a much shorter. It was sort of a, a five ten minute burst there where we just looked impotent. Um, and it sort of it sort of took me back to the um, I don't know if you remember the Bulldogs game from twenty nineteen. Um, just sitting there and <laughs> just, trying just to, feeling trying just, to forget it, mate. But thanks for bringing yeah, it up again. That's all right. No, just just feeling that that sort of feeling of helplessness there. Um, Obviously, it wasn't for as long um, this game as it was back then, um, which you could argue is, you know, somewhat better. Um, but, you know, we, we need to move on. And I think one of the things that has come out this week, amongst all the, amongst all the noise and, you know, oh, the players don't care and, you know, they're not, they're not trying, there's been a couple of really good um, detailed statistical analysis. And we wanted to go through one of those today. Um, this one was one that you highlighted um, on your Twitter feed. Um, it's Essendon's defensive woes leave no margin for error as the 22 AFL season hangs by a thread. It was posted on the ABC's um, sport website. Um, it's from Cody Atkinson and Sean, Sean Lawson. And it really broke down just the statistical issues that Essendon are having at the moment compared to last year. So what we thought we'd do is instead of going through the Fremantle game, um, is we go through this article and, and sort of explore it. So if you just want to um, give us a bit of a gist of what the article was and we'll do a bit of a deep dive into it. Yeah, I think anyone who who has followed me on on Twitter and seen what I talk about, I, I'm obviously uh, like the analytical side of, of the game, and I, you know that's also you know where my background and um, and training in football uh, came from. While, while most people uh, as a teenager were trying to work how to kick on their opposite foot, I was um, I was working out what AFL stats meant and how the game is played. Um, so, yeah, I, I came across this um, article from the guys and it, it really stood out to me because of all the content, anti-Essendon content, um, not a lot of it had context. You know, I saw a clip um, slamming Darcy Parrish for not chasing, but what that clip didn't show is the 80-metre run that he made immediately before it and his effort after it to, you know, in, you know it was almost like he recognised in real time that he'd stuffed up and, and tried to make amends. So I think sometimes it can be a little bit unfair, but this article did a really good job of just giving some context to, to what they're happening. And, and this article focuses a lot on our um, lack of intercepts from the back 50, which then mean we're not able to get um, scores from, from intercepts. Obviously, if you're not doing it in the first place, it becomes very hard to to intercept and, and expose the opposition on turnover um, and where um, and what it is doing is it's leaving our defenders in a lot more one-on-one situations. And, um, you know, obviously as that happens and cleaner, faster ball movement coming inside, um, yeah, you're asking your defenders to do a lot. And you know, we saw in that run last week where Freo did kick five goals in, you know, sort of three or four minutes, three of those were from free kicks and that's not a, a reflection on the umpiring. That's a reflection on our midfielders exposing our defenders and, and putting them in vulnerable positions and, and creating some panic and, and giving away some soft freeze. So, um, and and I think there's two. The article discusses one of these points, but but probably overlooked another one. I think there's two big causes as to why we're why we're down. Um, and one is our lack of clearance win. Uh, so we're giving the opposition clean ball out of, um, out of inside 50. So um, our, our clearance differential per game is, I think the worst in the AFL, isn't it? We're sort of six or seven clearances yeah. a game down on the opposition. And then we're also um, similar number of inside fifties down, which isn't quite the worst. There's other teams performing a little bit worse there, but um we're conceding more inside 50s than we're getting ourselves. But yeah, so lack of clearances, 
means more clean ball going inside 50 for the opposition. The other thing is, you know, a lack of tackles. Uh, we're ranked we're ranked 18th in the AFL, and I mentioned this to you before. I think sometimes you need to be a little bit careful with rankings. There's 18 teams in a comp, so someone has to be 18th, right? Um, and with some metrics, you can have a, a one or two percentage difference between first and 18th. But the the big alarming one for me is that our tackles are down 16 or 17 a game on what they were last year. So, um, so yeah, the the analysis of our um, intercept marking rate, of our one on one contest rate or contest win rate being as down as far as they are, doesn't come any as any surprise really when you think about the lack of contested ball win out of the centre and, and clearance win, and then the lack of tackling pressure on the opposition as they're taking the ball forward. So I would hope that they're two areas that um, Truck and, and, and our leaders are going to focus on really heavily this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as, as you were sort of saying, it, it does, does all come back to that, that centre of the ground. The, the fact that they're losing the clearances um, and there's not that tackling pressure means that the ball is going into the 50 um leading in quicker, which leads to more one-on-one contests. You don't, it doesn't allow for someone to, to slide off and, and um, act as a third man up and, and provide those intercepts. And then what that does is when leaving 50, more often than not, you're not leaving, you're leaving 50 when the opposition, opposition has had a chance to set up. So either it's from, um, either it's from a, a stoppage situation or it's from, you know, a, a kick out from the, from the 50. And so your opposition has a time to set up. Whereas if you intercept the ball, um, and you get those marks such, such as Ridley would do um, last year, um, you catch the opposition, you know, out of position and you, if you're working hard enough and able to spread, you're able to take advantage of that. And so that's a lot of what we were doing last year. You'd have a Ridley or um, a Heppel um, intercepting and then you give it off to Hind and Redmond who could break the lines and then you, you, you'd broken the opposition's structure yeah. and you could deliver him to 50. And so because we're not, and because we don't have that tackling pressure, it's leading to that situation in the back 50 where we're losing a lot of one-on-ones. Um, and when we are getting it, it's from a stagnant situation that has allowed the opposition to set up. So it's a real area of concern. And as you sort of said, it, it does start from the from sort of that engine room of the ground there. Obviously, um, as you say, with the tackle differential, um, probably the big loss there is Snelling and, and his his tackle pressure. You know, we, we're missing. He was he's one of the top tacklers in the game. You're probably missing. There's there's eight or nine tackles a game. Yeah, um, you're forget, forgetting Zach Merritt in that one too, mate. A, mm. a lot of people have called out Snelling and it's spot on. But Zach Merritt is a, a ferocious tackler. He's um he's obviously only a little guy as is Snelling, but you know between the two of them, you know it's a it's a dozen tackles or more a week. And when you're only getting thirty six, uh, and you know to give some context, when you then um you know, you're replacing those kind of guys with, you know, Nick Martin, who's a skinny kid and um, these kind of things. It, it does make... Braden Ham. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it does make a difference. You can't can't expect those guys to, to, to be able to replace that. But I guess what you do expect and do hope for is that the more senior guys that are left are, about, are, are able to fill a little bit of the void between them, maybe not all. But, um, and, and add to that too, Stringer and, um, and Waller, whilst they they don't necessarily get massive tackle numbers. They're guys that make opposition players a little bit nervous when they're in the area. So, um, so yeah, sort of inferred pressure that comes through them um, is pretty important too. So, yeah, look, there's, there's some reasons for it. Some of them are probably excuses um, and we should get a better output for what we've still got. But, um, but yeah, look, they're, 
there's a lot of work in in both contested ball and clearances and then tackling pressure on the opposition, which I think will help um, support our back line and create more intercept opportunities for us to then get fast ball back through the corridor. Yeah, excellent. And I think just listening to some of the, the talk from um, some of the players this week, particularly the um, Andy McGrath um, interview that he, he did with Matthew Lloyd on, on 3AW, it suggests that the players... Well, we, we'll, we'll see what happens on, on Monday, but it seems that the players have sort of recognised that and that they need to take more responsibility in those areas with, with players like that out. I do want to move on then. Obviously, obviously, it's a lot of doom and gloom, but I do want to just bring up a few glass half full. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more always more suited to optimism than, than pessimism. So the things I, I just want to... just Everyone just think about, firstly, is that um, we've had the hardest draw of any side so far this year, I think, from a from a statistical point of view, um, the, article, the article actually goes into it. They've, they've rated it. We've had the hardest draw so far this year. We've played the top three sides um, and Geelong, who, who are quite, also quite a good side. Um, that's, those are our four losses, the top, the top three sides um, and Geelong. Um, we're also um, one and four at this stage last year. We went on to make the finals um, from this position. And... Um, the way that we pushed Brisbane and Melbourne suggested that we can go with the best sides. It's just a matter of doing it for, for longer. I mean, we probably, there's an argument to be made that we probably should have won the Brisbane game um, if we kick straighter. And then we really um, did a lot of work to show up Melbourne, um, particularly with their defence. Um, I think it was on the Sunday footy show. Um, I saw talking about how Melbourne is able to structure defensively and how through um, really good use of Peter Wright, we were able to um, really challenge challenge them there. So I think there's still a lot of positives there. I don't think the season's over. I don't think we should be tanking for draft picks at this stage. Just, um, get a few get a few players back and um, you know, start building some form. I, I still think there's a lot of life. Yeah, even the Freo game, like 11 minutes into the third quarter, it was still 10 points of difference. And they went from they went from 10 to 40 really quickly, kicked five goals real quick and, and put the game um, out of touch for us. But yeah, Freo are a really good side. They're they're in the top three as well, and um and yeah, for a fair bit of the game with a really inexperienced side, we were able to just sort of just hang in there and grind. Um, we, we obviously weren't good enough when it when it really counted, but um, yeah, it's it's not all doom and gloom just yet. I don't think. Yeah, excellent. So I guess moving on, we want to we start approaching the the Collingwood game, and obviously it's such a, a massive occasion, Anzac Day, such a. Um, it's been built up into such a, a big a big event that that's um, looked forward to each year. Before we wanted to look on Collingwood, we just wanted to start um, going into some of our Anzac Day memories. This is a good opportunity for those who are listening. If you um, have an Anzac Day memory that you'd like to share, um, just put your hand up um, in the chat, and we'll we'll bring you in. Um, I guess starting with you, Johnny, your memories go back a bit further than mine. If you just want to yeah. go into one of your first ones, yeah. I, I mean, I, I love Anzac Day beyond just the footy. I think it's um... Uh, it's a really important day. Both of my grandfathers uh, were involved in World War Two uh, in the in the Pacific. Actually, uh, one of my grandfathers actually um, was in uh, went over to to the South Pacific with uh, with Jack Jones, who's obviously got a strong um, Essendon connection. So, um, so yeah, from that perspective and a personal perspective, Anzac Day means a lot. Um, but from a footy perspective. Uh, one of the ones that doesn't get talked about much, um, and it's it's probably my earliest one, was the game uh, Anzac Day 1992. We played Melbourne, so yeah, Anzac Day football existed for Essendon before um, before Essendon Collingwood. Um, we were, if I remember this right, I haven't gone back and looked it up, so apologies if I get this wrong. But um, I was only 
10, I think, at the time. Um, we were 40-odd points down at three-quarter time or thereabouts and came back and won. Uh, and Wangene, a, a very, very young Gavin Wangene, um made this amazing diving tackle uh, on a half-forward flank, sort of 51, 52 metres out from goal and, um, and got a free kick and kicked a goal to... I can't remember now whether it was to put us in front or to um, or to sort of maybe put us two goals up and um, and take it away. But that that's definitely my my first and, and probably my favourite Anzac Day football memory. Um, and then you know, it, obviously being fortunate enough to work at the club and be involved for a long time, Sheedy on Anzac Day was incredible. I, I probably learnt more about Australia's war history and war effort um, from Sheeds than I did from. You know any any of my time at high school and studying history and, and those kind of things. Um, so yeah, Sheeds was was always brilliant. He never made um, at least not that I noticed the the gaff and and ridiculous war analogies that Mick Malthouse made during the week, where he compared <laughs> Essendon players to to Turks, which was uh, pretty crazy. But um, yeah, she... well, to be fair, I, I don't mind that analogy because I think if you go back and read your history, you'll find that actually Turks won at Gallipoli yeah. um, at Anzac. So you know, if we are the Turks in this situation, then that's a good um, omen for for this um, for this week. Yeah, and as someone did point out, um, the Turks defended pretty well, so maybe um, maybe that's not a great comparison for. I did wonder though if whether in that analogy, Brad Scott might be the. Um, might be the English because some of his instructions of late have been pretty poor. But um, anyway, yeah, she's was great. And obviously heard uh, James Hurd's uh, moments on Anzac Day, which we could speak about for ages, um, was incredible. But um, yeah, one of the other sort of funny ones um, for me was the 2012 game. So uh, it was my first Anzac Day uh, out in the crowd after you know no longer being involved in the club and sitting in the, the stats box or poachers box. Um, so I hadn't quite learned how to be a fan again uh, after you know 15 seasons of um, being behind the glass. And uh, that was the game, and I think you're going to talk about it too, so I don't want to steal too much of the thunder, but it was the game where um, Stance, Brent Stanton kicked a goal to put us in front after being down all day. And then, unfortunately, Jared Blair kicked a little toe poker right on the siren um, to give them the game. But two, uh, two reasons it sticks out. Firstly, the crowd afterwards, both Essendon and Collingwood supporters were incredible. Like Everyone was just in a state of shock. Um, you know, Collingwood and Essendon supporters like to hang a bit of shit on each other, but there was none of that. There was just this real acknowledgement that we kind of went through a bit of a roller coaster together, um, walking out of the ground in big numbers. No one had left early, obviously, because it was close. So, um, yeah, everyone was just sort of shaking their heads almost and trying to catch their breath. So that that was one of the really beautiful things about, I think, our game, you know, Aussie rules compared to some of the other sports around the world, yeah, where you can go sort of toe-to-toe for a game and, and walk out together as a crowd and share that. But um, I also embarrassed myself a little bit that day when um, there was an Essendon fan sitting behind me who was getting stuck into stance all day, as, you know, a number of Essendon supporters like to do over the years. And when Stanton kicked that goal... I did stand up and tell him to sit down and, and suggest to him that he maybe didn't deserve to cheer him on. So if um, if whoever that is is listening, um, you know, ten years ten years on, I do apologise for behaving like a pork chop. Well, that that was an amazing amazing match. I'm surprised it doesn't get spoken about. I mean, obviously from an Essen perspective, it doesn't get spoken about as much as 2009 and Zarakis, but uh, I think that's almost as equal a game in terms of of you know just a hard fought contest. Um, all day, um, you know, just going back and, and reliving it through the highlights, we, you know, Essendon would, you know, drop down by two goals and then, and then find a way back. I know that um, I watched um, 
it was sort of a lot of Alwyn Davies' best. I think played, did a lot of good work there. A couple of goals from um, Zara, the Stanton goal that you spoke about, and we just we just kept plugging away and 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 fight, fighting away. And you know, it was almost another you know miracle miracle win like like oh nine. It, it wasn't to be, unfortunately. And then you know, obviously Dane Swan played you know an immense game, which you know he was um, capable of doing on that stage. But you know, it just sort of adds to the occasion there. Um, adds to the occasion in terms of you know, just, just the history of the game. Um, and then obviously going into the, the following year, um, obviously there was the issues with the saga, but I think just um, when Joe kicked that goal, it sort of sealed the game. I think, you know, there was a lot of um, pent up um, frustration. It was just a release from Essendon fans. That that roar was one of the loudest roars um, I've ever heard um, at a ground. Um, and just the, the one that sort of sticks with me, the first um, Anzac Day I ever, I ever managed to get to was um, 03. Um, which just sort of stuck out because it was um, the match where um, I think it was Lloyd, um, Lloyd Hurd and Cupido um, all kicked five goals. And I just thought, you know, especially um, with Collingwood coming off, um, you know, consecutive grand finals, um, it sort of, it gave me a bit of hope that, you know, we, maybe we were heading on the way back up. Um, you know, there could still be um, some more life left in this side. Um, but yeah, so those, those are the sort of the ones that stick with me. Um, was, that, anyone in the... was that the one... One of my favourite Damien Cupido moments was was it Anzac Day that year, or it might not have been against the Pies, but where he um, the the Northern Stand was being rebuilt and he went to high five the crowd, but it was just like scaffolding and there was no he kicked a goal and went to high five the crowd. Hilarious. Um, yeah. Anyway, digress a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's yeah, as I said, the same the same memories that day. I mean. Um, you know, ninety five is a bit before my time, but I, I think just the fact that it, it was a draw, um, you know, sort of stamp made it made it. You know, if that if that game doesn't end in the draw, or, or if it's a you know a massive um, massive win one way or the other, um, is the is the day as big as it was? We don't know, but um, it's just one of those days that that sticks to memory. And I think um, every Essendon fan needs to get along to at least one just just to see those the ceremony um, before the game. Um, and, just, and just and just feel the crowd because the crowd, as you sort of suggested, you know, Essendon and Collingwood fans don't like each other, but there's a there's a very much a respect um, on Anzac Day between between the sides, whichever side wins. So um, it's a really really good one to get along to. Good luck to all those who are um, going to be heading to the game. I won't be able to make it unfortunately, but um, yeah, to all those heading to the game, um, which I know you are, um, hope you get to enjoy the experience um, as much as we have when we've been. But let's move on then to Collingwood um, and looking at their style um, game so far. So obviously they've they've made a very good start to the year by considering where they finished um, last year. Um, they are getting a bit of that new coach bounce, um, whether that's a uh, sustained thing or whether that's you know you know just a bit of a sugar rush. We'll, we'll find out over the course of the season. Um, but I guess if we look go to the stats and we can definitely see there's a distinct game change um, in the way in which they're playing. So McRae is obviously. Um, giving them a bit more license to run, and I think we see that with the way um, their their kick to handball ratio. So um, last year that was um, they were kicking the ball one point four times for every handball, and that's dropped to um, one point two. And I think as you pointed out, our notes are actually the number one um, handballing um, team at the comp, and that's that's leading to a lot more um, inside fifties um, per game. And we can also see, obviously, um, with their marks, they've actually dropped um, quite significantly the amount of marks that they're taking a game which I think we saw with, with Buckley was a very controlling style um, of play, whereas um, McRae has got them playing much more of a, a free-flowing, um, you know, move the ball quickly style. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, they've, they've gone from a sort of kick-mark, kick-mark, kick-mark team to to much more of a run-carry, handball, 
um, not necessarily um, f- fast football, but um, yeah, so it's not sort of kamikaze style, but they're, they're definitely trying to open up the corridor a lot more through um, through handball and they're prepared to handball um, out of the back line. And, you know, Isaac Quainor, who's, you know, developing into a really good footballer is their number one interceptor down there. Um, and they're, they're third in the AFL for generating um, intercept marks. So, um, you know, they're doing a lot of work to set up behind the footy, win the footy back, and then... Uh, using the ball by hand to get it the other way, and, and as you mentioned, that's leading to them um, being first for for inside fifties as well. So um, yeah, they're, they're doing a lot of things right. Yeah, and I think um, that's probably you know we we spend a lot of time going through that article about our about our defensive concerns, and um, that's a real worry in terms of you know that Collingwood's aside um, based on how they've played so far this year, they can really exploit um, our areas of weakness so far this year. That um, Sorry, um, they've got quite um, dangerous set of um, centre clearance mids, which, in terms of clearances, is our is our um, strongest suit. That's supposed to around the ground clearances. So there's no um, there's not a lot of opportunity there for us to, to gain advantage there with um, particularly Adams um, and Dugowie, and then obviously the work of um, of Grundy in terms of um, centre clearances. So um, Adams is third, Grundy eighth, and Dugowie is um, ninth. Um, in terms of centre clearances um, this year, um, and our, our highest at the moment is Shield at night. So they've got three players who are um, better than or equal to our centre clearances um, well, I, this year. I think the flip side to that, though, mate, is that mm. if we can get it right, and you know, if, if Stringer and or Zach Merritt play, and just um, didn't that create some controversy? Um, <laughs> if they if they do play, or even if they don't, if we can get it right then we do take away one of their big weapons. So, you know, centre clearance is a 50-50 contest. Both teams have got equal numbers around the footy. Um, so one thing Big Sammy Draper has been pretty good at this year is is winning hitouts and, and winning ruck contests. So we give ourselves a bit of a chance um, through that. If we can get that right, then we take away a, a big weapon for them. So, um so yeah, let, let's see how that goes. Uh, the other one that we sort of skipped over just quickly is that um, Collingwood are a big tackling team as well. So um, they're second in the AFL for, t- for tackles. And they, <laughs> they're averaging 20 more tackles a game than us um, this year. And they're, and they're doing that in all parts of the ground. So they're first for total tackles, first for tackles inside 50. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we're going to need to really up our tackling game to to limit their, um, their ability to... It's the risk with a handballing team, though, isn't it? If you can put pressure on them, then you can cause panic. And you can it, you can cause them to to move away from the type of football that they want to play. So it ends up being either fast handball to to pressure situations, or it be or it ends up being dump kicks, which then feeds back into that uh, ability to intercept and get the play going the other way. So um, yeah, yeah. How how the middle of the ground plays out is going to be a really interesting one. Yeah, I think just. We've talked a lot about what Collingwood's been strong at, but one of the things that really stands out that they're, they've been weak at is contested marks. They're actually 18th in the AFL for contested marks, um, and that's somewhere where we potentially could could really exploit them um, when we get into selection. We know that there's a couple of players on the bench who could help um, exploit that, and obviously with Peter Wright um, playing forward. Um, and in terms of Collingwood selection, you know, rough, Roughhead is out, you know, the, the, the sort of person you would think would, would go to Peter Wright um, first. Um, and that leads to a question of whether Moore ends up playing forward or back for them because they don't necessarily have, you know, a, it's not it's not like going up against Fremantle where they've got, you know, um, 200 centimetre key defenders 
um, you know, they, they probably are going to have to put a lot of time into it, into thinking how they're going to deal with the Peter Wright um, when they haven't got that contested marking power um, to challenge him. Yeah, no, spot on. It creates a, a bit more of a challenge for them this week. Um, it, it, I think it, it almost definitely means Moore has to play back, right? Um, he, he's played three quarters in, in the back line last week, went forward in the last quarter and had a bit of an impact there. But um, but yeah, I think it would suggest that, that Moore and, and Howe will be trying to take um, our two main um, our two main forwards. And if Moore does end up on right, I think that could be a bit of a win. Moore's a, a, a brilliant footballer, but if he's got to be more defensive in his game, oh, I think it takes away some of their... Um, you know what? What sort of limited marking power they do have? Um, it takes a fair bit of that away. Yeah, and I guess just moving on to that. So they they are two and three. Um, they won their first two games, um, and then they've they've had a, a, a patch of three losses in a row. So they 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 should have probably should have beaten Geelong, but I think just Geelong's experience and um, just sort of overworked them in the end in that last quarter. Um, Brisbane last week, um, although Brisbane sort of were keeping them arm's length for most of the night. Collingwood got a couple of late goals to, to bring it closer, but I think Brisbane sort of, sort of were in control of that game um, for most of the night. Um, and, and then they had that um, loss to West Coast. With West Coast are, a, you know, you don't even know, you know, which 22 players are, are going to be running out each week at the moment with West Coast. Um, so that suggested, you know, that they can be caught um they can be caught with their pants down um, if they, if they, they, I would expect that they, they probably were thinking they were going to go in and, and win that game and win it comfortably. And then, you know, they were out work. So that game, that's the sort of thing that gives us hope. If you go in and, and you work hard against them, you can, um, you can get on top of them. And I think just with their style, consistency seems to be a challenge. So again, something that you posted um, on your Twitter feed this week um, that I, um, I've just grabbed um, is about how um, their scores go quarter to quarter um, so, for example, Collingwood is winning first quarters on average by nine points and third quarters by 10 points, but they're losing um, second quarters by six points and um, final quarters by eight points on average. So, the game that sort of suggests they're not a consistent side and that if you can match them when they're playing well, you can break them um, break them when, when they're on their down patches, which, which young sides do have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, young, young team we're seeing it ourselves, uh, it, it, it's a real battle to to maintain the rage for four quarters. So um, our, our key focus really in this game has got to be to, to score heavily when we've got momentum. Um, so, you know, and footy does swing more now than, than ever before. So we need to make sure we make the most of our opportunities, but also that we just defend and harass really, really well when they've got the momentum and limit. I think we've got, we've been a lot better at this this year prior to the Fremantle game at, at restricting teams to, you know, big goal runs that it's sort of been, you know, two or three run goal runs um, in the first four weeks. So if we can get back to that and, and restrict Collingwood scoring when they do have the momentum, then um, it means we, we should be able to position ourselves really well to capitalise when we go the other way. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess just moving on to selection again, as I sort of hinted earlier, um, one day we'll we'll have we'll do this show when we have the full teams, um, rather than um, you know trying to guess what's happening with the extended benches. Um, obviously, obviously we we brought up the fact that um, Roughhead is out for Collingwood, um, and then also Cox um, has been omitted for them again. That sort of um, limits their their marking power. I think they, it seems like they're going for much more of that that running style 
um, you know, you, sometimes sometimes you just ignore your if you if you make your strength strong enough, you can you can let your weaknesses um, you can you can um, avoid having to deal with your weaknesses. I guess that might be their motivation there. But I think more about the Essendon side. I think the two names on the extended bench um, that I think we've we sort of talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks in terms of marking power. The, the Brian and Baldwin um, selections on the extended bench. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about requiring that second marking target um, in the forward line, um, and the fact that you know it seems in this in this today's game you need two um, two ruckmen going um, in, in your side to be able to rotate and, and have those have those options. Um, obviously, there there are questions over Stringer and Merritt because um, the game they had to name the team on Thursday. They probably have one or two training runs between that and um, and the game. You know they're hoping they can get up, but obviously they'll probably have to do fitness fitness tests theirs. So I guess let let's assume that Merritt and Stringer, you know, they're not they're not doing funny buggers and um, you know trying to trying to screw Collingwood over, shady style. Um, um, let's assume that they're playing. Who do the, who of the four named on the bench do you see playing from that? Well, I I think it's a squad, isn't it? it it's not a mm. it's not a team. So I'm I'm not again I'm not sure of the rules whether we we have mm. to trim. The extended bench, or we can, I guess we can do whatever we want. But um, I, you know, on the Stringer and Merritt one, we had to pick a team four days out from the game, right? If they're fifty-fifty chance, then you just got to have them in there to to give them that chance. And and at worst, Collingwood will be sitting there going, uh, "All right, well, we're going to tag Darcy Parish this week and put time into him." And now they're going, "Oh, hang on, we might have to put some work into planning for Merritt as well." And it just it'd throw them out a little bit. It's not going to be the difference between them throwing away all their plans and starting again. But, you know, having been on, on that side of the fence in, in a previous life, it, it definitely does do enough where you, you start to, to revisit some plans and get, get tape out and start watching other players. So, yeah, I, it was the right thing for the club to do in, in that instance. Um, I, I, I don't know where we'll go based on that extended bench. If we, if we make the assumption that, we've got to pick four of those, then I would assume that Hind and Shield and probably Perkins are locks, right? Um, I would imagine. And then it would be one of either Baldwin, Smith and uh, probably Baldwin or Smith for the other spot. I, I'm not sure Brian will play. I I think, and I hope we, we do this, I hope we go with Cox as our second ruckman. We've got a, a 200 centimetre bloke who's struggling on a wing but we've got some really good wingers coming through. You know, Martin's been playing really good footy. Um, Cutler was quiet last week coming on as a sub, but had been playing good footy before that. Durham's been playing at half forward and, and had a bit of an impact there, but he's a really, really good winger. So can we get him back on the wing? And then play Cut, uh, Cox forward. He took that mark last week. He's, his goal kicking hasn't been great, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Cox played in that role and, and release our wingers. Uh, leave leave Brian to wait for another day, unfortunately, um, and get Baldwin in there and keep Howe accountable um, and, and make sure that he's got to play on a tall so that he can't, um, he can't drop off and, and, um, and be dangerous, which we'll touch on in, in a bit. But, mate, to be honest with you, I've got no idea what to make of the, of the team and the bench. But if it was me picking the side, I'd leave Brian out. I'd play Baldwin. I'd probably leave. Um, I'd probably leave one of Smith or Waterman out. Um, uh, toss a coin for me for different reasons. Um, I think Waterman uh, is dangerous when he's got the ball. Really doesn't work when he's um, when he doesn't have it, and that lets us down. Um, and Smith 
does some better work off the ball, um, but obviously has has let himself down with a few moments like last week where he took the handball off um, off Durham. So yeah, a little bit torn there. So yeah, mate, I'm not sure, but for me, Cox forward, second ruck, and get Durham back up on a wing. And I guess we'll, we'll find out at five whether, you know, anything we've said here is, is worth listening to or you can, um, you can skip this portion of the, of the show. Um, unfortunately, we can't edit things out or, or override Twitter spaces at this time. We're working on, hopefully, the technology improves with, the, with new Twitter updates, but we'll see. So I guess let's just move on finally to the match. So one of the things we do each week is we, we point out four or five um, things that we would like to see um, Essendon do. Um, that would enable us to to have a really good shot of winning the match. And so I guess I'll just get you to go through those um, those points. Um, and then, again, we can reflect on that um, at the beginning of next week's show. Yeah, so I think the big one, and I think everyone has probably made this point, every Essendon fan, is just get back to the basics, um, particularly uh, at the contested ball and, and when we don't have it. So, yeah, get some more balance at stoppage. We got called out again last week with too many in no man's land, but yeah, get balance at stoppage and then really crack in at the contested ball. Um, and, and make Collingwood, you know, if they're going to win it, make it work really, really hard for it. And then when they do have the ball, make sure that they're under pressure as, as frequently as possible. Like I'm, like we both mentioned, they, they do like to handball and, and they try to, to move and link up with handball chains. So if we can put pressure on them when they're doing that, then it, it, it really does change the flow of their game. So, yeah, back to basics is is probably, uh, well, not probably, it's definitely number one. Uh, number two, we touched on a little bit as well. Um, but we're, we're remarkably fifth in the AFL for marks inside 50, thankfully, mostly to Peter Wright. But, um, you know, it's, it, that's a pretty mar- remarkable start when you consider we're 13th in the AFL for actually getting the ball inside 50. So if we do get it in there, we're, we're taking a mark every sort of three and a half times, 3.9 times. So no rough head for the pies. Uh, probably means Howe's going to need to play a little bit taller, which can work for him in some instances. You, you know, he can jump over, you know, tall buildings, but um, but he's not overly physically strong. So, um, so yeah, if we can get enough isolation of our forwards and get the ball in there more frequently than we have been, then I think we can um, we can expose them in the air. Um, I'd like to see us put... Pendlebury started the year at, at, at half-back at times, but has been playing more midfield. He played midfield last week. He actually tagged Lockie Neal in the first quarter. And then, strangely, they moved him away from that role. He, he did a really good job. If Pendlebury is back there, you've got to put some time into him. He's, he's way too good to to let hurt, but if not, and I don't think he'll play there, um, then Quayne is the one that I'd put a little bit of time into. It's not a hard tag, but it's just making sure that he's accountable. Um, and then how mentioned him a couple of times, he'll, he'll leave his man if given the, the opportunity to, and, and go and help out in the air. Um, so he'll be the one that will be looking to either get in front or jump over the top of Peter Wright. So whoever's on him really needs to make sure they're doing as much as they can to, um, to, to drag him away or to get involved and be dangerous themselves. So separate away from right and, and get dangerous. And Brisbane did a really good job of that last week. They exposed him a few times with um, by um, using McStay and then at times Zach Bailey as well um, kicked a couple on him. So um, important there. Um, and then um, sort of two to go. Our, our wingers need to, to get back... Um, and, and really help out. But I think, um, so they're, you know, whether it's Martin, Cutler, um, 
Hopefully, Durham, as I mentioned, gets back to a wing where he, I think he plays his best footy. Um, so, yeah, they need to get back and help defensively. But I also think they can be real weapons for us offensively. Um, Sidebottom and Dacos, who have probably been their two prime um, wingers this year, aren't Lipinski spends a bit of time there too. Um, they're not particularly great in the air defensively um, and overhead. So I think if um, you know our, our wingers are, are relatively tall guys and and all pretty strong in the air, so if we can get them to work forwards on those guys, then you know I'd, I'd like to think our wingers can hit the scoreboard and get sort of three or four goals between them. And then last but not least, goals from the ruck. Um, Grundy is exceptional at ground level. He's an exceptional athlete. He's a good, you know, he's good um, at the ruck contest. Uh, but he doesn't always get back to help out very well. And I think Phillips exposed him last year a little bit, didn't he? I think he kicked a goal on him. Yeah. Darcy Fort kicked, I think he only kicked one in the end, but I reckon he might have had three shots on goal um, as as the ruckman um, pushing forward. So, um, yeah, shudder at the thought of um, of Sammy Draper having set shot kicks at goal, but... Um, <laughs> But if, if Draper and, you know, Cox, if it's him or Brian, can can take the time to push forward. The other thing it does, you know, he's a, Grundy's a real athlete, right? He, he's, a, he's a really fit guy. But anything that we can do to make him run into, you know, run both ways more often just, just adds a little bit of fatigue when they don't really have a, a recognised second ruckman. So, um, so, yeah, they're the five, mate. Back to basics. Get um, some more fastball inside 50 put some time into Quainor and how our wingers to get offensive as well as defensive and then um, try and expose their rucks and get some goals going the other way. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot, obviously a lot to work on. Um, You made some really good points there about ways in which we can expose um, Collingwood and and some of their, their issues as well. Um, We always finish on our final thoughts as always, if you want to have your say, um, please um, request to speak and we'll, we'll get you on. Um, unless you're our friend from Namibia, um, you can just keep your hand down. Thanks, mate. Um, but our final thoughts. Um, so in order to f- like you to finish this thought, Jono, um, in order to demonstrate that the players have learnt something from last week, they will. Uh, they'll tackle. <laughs> I think it's that simple, mate. It's pretty simple. Yeah. 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 What about uh, you? Very good. What's your, what's your view? I just think, I think even even if it's not even if it's not tackling, it's just it's, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to you know be something that's classed as a tackle to, to put, put pressure on um, to put pressure on the opposition. You know, just just running and chase. You did sort of point out that you know a lot of the stuff that's highlighted in the media lacks content context, but um, I think there needs to be a bit more smart smart running. I yep. guess is what I would say. You know, smart smart efforts, not you know blowing up um, blowing up when you don't have to. Um, I think we do have a request. I think it's. Um... I think that's a troll. So, I think that's a troll, mate. I think we're going to ignore that one. We're going to ignore that one. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll let I'll let you deal with the um the consequences of that one. Yeah. Um. But thanks everyone. Thanks everyone for everyone for listening. Um. Please, you know, um, if you've enjoyed um listening today, please um share share it around. People can um re-listen to this, um re-listen to this um through Twitter. Um. Yeah. We're really blown away by the response that we've had so far. Um. And, you know, just the amount of listeners that we're getting, um, you know, for just a couple of randoms um, on Twitter. Um, well, I, I'm definitely random. John has got a bit more um, a bit more clout behind him than me. Um, yeah, we just want to really thank everyone um, for all your, all your feedback and, and your listening. 
um, yeah, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Go Dons. Absolutely. Thanks, mate.